0: There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 15 Tall Guy, Fall Guy Welcome back. Sorry, it's been such a long wait since the last podcast. We've all had a lot of work commitments and then there's been a lot of stuff going on with Fred. You know what it's like when you're trying to solve two historical murder mysteries at the same time. But the gentleman has never been far away from our thoughts. Ian particularly has been constantly advocating for getting this podcast back on track it gets a lot of listens and we've made a lot of progress. So we're hoping that there'll be two or three new podcasts released over the next few weeks. Now it might actually be worth a quick recap. There's a man found floating off the German island of Heligoland on the 11th of July 1994. He's been in the water probably a few months. There's evidence of head trauma and he's weighed down By shoe lasts made in Bristol in the UK, he's completely clothed by Marks and Spencer clothing, apart from a pair of Church's shoes. Now, Church's shoes were expensive, but they may be second hand. The key to the puzzle: is extraordinarily tall, around six foot five inches, or one hundred ninety-seven centimeters. That is a very, very small proportion of the population. He's probably around 45-50 to when he dies. He may have a connection with Australia but we've never been completely convinced of that. Episode 14 covered the mysterious voyage of the SS Berbil in 1993 and we need to return to that first. That's very much Ian's domain and I know he's been trying hard to find out more about Andre Lapin, the only survivor. Lapin's eventual story was that there was two mutinous sailors on that boat who killed the captain in a dispute about pay, and they then killed the other two crewmen, and at that point they threatened to kill Lappin, but Lappin overpowered them both and killed them both. As he feared no one would believe him, he decided to destroy all of the evidence, weigh down the bodies and chuck them into the sea, and also take about £40,000 from the captain to distribute amongst the families of the other sailors, or so he claimed. Bizarrely the courts believed him and he was acquitted. But for our case it's interesting because it takes place at the right time in the right place, and it leaves 4 bodies missing with trauma injuries to the head floating in the sea, never ever found. The captain's body was found, but the 4 missing Russian seamen Mikhail Mikhailov, Vladislav Bogdan, Viktor Varenko and Anatoly Smolyak, there was never any trace of those found. So there's a possibility that one of those sailors could be the man who is found near Heligoland. So first we need to catch up with Ian just to find out whether he's been able to take that particular part of this story any further.
1: Morning Ian, how you doing mate? Hello Ken, I'm doing great and well done Wrexham promoted last night.
0: That's why I had to delay the call a little bit Ian. I had a bit of a lie-in this morning after some celebrations.
1: I guess, But then that's not you, really. So that's how important it is. That's not what we phoned up to talk about.
0: No, we're talking gentlemen. So, uh, hey, but it's nice to get back on this horse, isn't it?
1: I've been pushing for us to get on and do something because we kind of left our barbell case hanging a little bit. Mm -hmm. A lot of new stuff to dive into on this podcast, which is very exciting.
0: Yeah, makes it really exciting. And sometimes it's nice just to step away from things, go back into it and think, oh, what about this? Oh, what about that? And you're talking a bit more about the the Barbel case. We know this Lappin guy, Andre Lappin, is still around, isn't he? And we were kind of reaching out to see if we can get some kind of conversation going with him.
1: We were. I, apparently, he's an artist now, and you can commission pictures from him via a website. I just can't find that website. I would have thought his name would be in it somewhere. I don't yeah. know if it's a website where everything's in Russian and it's not oh. a- able to get. I've uh, I reached out to to Zoe who did the YouTube video that I got the barbel story from. Yeah, um, and because she seemed to have pictures of his website, she she could find it. Um, but I've not heard anything back from Zoe either. That was that was a fruitless. Hunt that's very frustrating. But Joe came up with a mobile number for him, oh, no. which we have tried dozens of times. And you know, Lara, my wife, can speak Russian. So yeah. we were going to try and talk to him. Mm. Um, and this phone number rings out, yeah. but it's never been answered, which is mm. again very, very frustrating. Well, these things happen,
0: don't they, in these kind of uh, investigations. I think uh, the other thing we were able to find some more information on was the victims because obviously there's four people still unaccounted for from that tragedy on the Burble. Uh, yeah, captain gets found. Uh,
1: well, the, very... captain, the, captain is, the captain is his late 50s.
0: But he's found <laughs> and he can't be the gentleman uh, there. The other sailors are never found so they could be the gentleman. But I think one of the things that Joe managed to get an idea of was an idea of the ages of these people.
1: Yeah, Joe found that um, their ages, the oldest ones, was 33, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not going into all of the detail because they're all way too young for them to be the gentleman. Right. But, I mean, Lappin, Lappin was 28 when it took place, and I think the rest of the crew were around that age as well. So, um,
0: so given we know that the gentleman, with some degree of certainty, is going to be in his 40s and maybe 50, it's unlikely yeah. that these these victims of the Bible are likely to be the
1: gentleman. I think, uh, think they're at least 10 years too young to be the gentleman. What is annoying, um, without talking to Lappin, because if we talked to him, we could have asked how tall these guys were. If there mm. was a giant amongst, them. and obviously we couldn't do that mm. because he had, had to be able to find him. I'm going to, I'm you know just for the sake of completeness, I am going to stick with this to try and get that to properly rule them out. Mm. Um, but in the in the bits and pieces of reports on the trial, etc., there's 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 nothing to suggest that. Any of the victims were was enormous, and I mean I know we can't close it off properly. We haven't found proof to rule in or out on on height, but it's no good waiting any longer to try and get that. Which is kind of one of the things that's delayed us following it up, looking Mm. for that. I don't know. I think we've just got to assume there wasn't someone who was six foot six.
0: Look, but at the end of the day, we don't have to. uh put it in the bin, you know, we can just put it to one side. If anything comes up in the meantime that suggests that there was a very tall person on that ship, then we can always go back, can't we?
1: We can look at that again. And that's very disappointing and very frustrating, but as kind of compensated for by the fact that just recently, and I know the rest of the podcast will go into this, we have found two giants.
0: Yep, yeah, we have. We have. Well, <laughs> maybe.
1: without giving too much away,
0: it's, uh, Maybe more fruitful avenues to explore, uh, I there's, think, coming back into it.
1: I think it's time to say, let's let's dig elsewhere. Yeah. Even though we haven't properly, completely, totally and utterly finished with any of these four. Because, I mean, it was exciting. They were weighed down. They said he weighed them down with scrap And it's in the right um,
0: place. It's at the right time. I mean, there's a lot. Place, going perfect place, perfect
1: time. But, um, yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. What? Just, just pause. Okay, hang on I've a minute. just got – that was astounding. Uh, it's so weird. As we're recording, I've just got a message from Zoe spinnet And she's the, the woman who does the um,
0: who did the kind of vlog on, on he this. Did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, in preparation for now, I did chase up at the start of the week, if she could help, mm-hmm. um, and particularly about Lappin's website. Um, and she's responded today with the web address. Right. And before I could click on that, there's another message saying, I think it's been removed. So so it's not available. So all of my hunting around with all of the various things that might have been lapping picture, lapping art, lapping all those searches uh, and not finding anything, it's because the website's down, the website is not there. If we'd managed to talk to him, he'd have been able to tell us the height of anybody who's involved in this that that's that's good
0: i think we've taken that probably as far as we can now may yeah. come may come back to it if you discover anything else but other furrows to plow indeed brilliant hey thanks for the update ian i know that's been a frustrating one for you because uh it's it's always nicer when you can actually uh talk to the people you want to talk to but these things happen don't they in these things
1: Well, you know, you go down some rabbit holes and some are deeper than others and and some are blocked. And I think this is one that ended up just being blocked for us to properly finish off.
0: From what we know, we wouldn't be massively confident that there was an involvement between the gentlemen in this case. It's not any of these young guys that
1: are the crew on a boat. They're too Mm -hmm. young. Great. Well, that's good. Good to know
0: that. Uh, Brilliant. Thanks, Ian. You take it easy, mate. Appreciate the input.
1: And I'm looking forward to Newcastle having as successful a game against Tottenham this afternoon as Wrexham had last night.
0: Fingers crossed, mate. Have fun. So we'll keep a close eye on that. If we find out anything more about the horrific crimes that occurred on the Babel, and if they can possibly have anything to do with our search for the gentleman, you'll be the first to know. But I think it's now time to move on to another line of inquiry. As you know, in the small hours of the evening you can often find us searching through old records, ancestry data, ancient newspapers, cup of strong coffee in one hand, laptop mouse in the other, wading through page after page. That's what we do. That's the engine of all this investigation. We're just hoping to spot something of interest. And in this case, that's often taken the form of searching for missing people initially around 1993 or 1994 and then pushing that date back earlier and earlier. And this process has definitely generated fascinating lines of inquiry, but not one we currently feel strongly about as having a potential to be the gentleman. But it did, if you remember, solve one of Canada's, oldest missing persons cases. Well I was involved in doing exactly that activity a couple of weeks ago. Frankly I was getting nowhere. Then I had a bit of a brainwave. Stop looking for people who are reported missing because he may well not have been. He may have been part of a gang. He may have had no one in his life who cared enough about him to report him missing or wanted him found. He could have led a completely transient and geographically flexible life. No one would miss him. So there's actually a very good chance he won't appear as a missing person. But if I'm not looking for missing people what am I looking for? Well actually the unique aspect of the gentleman is not actually that he's missing it's his height. So, could I find someone even mentioned around that time who is definitely six foot five or six foot six and of the right build and of the right age, forgetting completely at this point whether they're officially recorded missing or not? Now, it's a long shot, but everything's a long shot in a 30 year old case. So I looked initially around 1993-1994. Every mention of someone that tall is a sportsman, cricketer, basketball player, NFL offensive lineman, footballer. That's where people of extreme height tend to get mentioned. So it wasn't really yielding anything because most of those sports people are in their 20s not in their 50s. So I went back a few more years into the 1980s and as before many of the mentions are the new huge centre forward play for this football team or this cricket team so i was starting to get a little bit frustrated but then I did find something interesting that proved to be really interesting and that story is nowhere near finished yet but it's what we're currently spending a lot of time on. So get yourself a cup of tea and a biscuit and make yourself comfortable. It started with a report from September 1982 about a man called Malcolm Bolt. Malcolm Bolt had been found murdered. He was a businessman with reputedly some shady dealings. He was a property developer. He was involved in the rental of flats. He was a 42-year-old man found bludgeoned to death. Now, many people are murdered. So what makes that murder relevant to the gentleman? Well, it was the headline. Police Hunt for Giant in Tycoon Murder. And as part of that report, it said that the man the police were searching for was around 40. And there was an artist's impression. Dark-haired, thin but described as being around 6 foot 5. So okay. Now I'm interested. And report says the man they're seeking is around 40 in 1982. So getting my calculator out, whizzing things forward to 1993, he's about 51. And he's 6 foot 5 and he's thin. And the artist's impression could have been taken straight from the images shown on the gentleman. Problem is it's all a decade too soon. Now, Happily for the police in the case of Malcolm Bolt they trace this man. He's an associate of Bolt. A man called David Charles Lovett and sure enough he is at least 6 foot 5 and he tells them everything. He was a strong armed man. He was the man who put the pressure on people that didn't pay Bolt. But he'd fallen on very hard times. He was an antique dealer. But he'd had a car crash in Spain and had spent time actually in a coma. And whilst he was in that coma, Bolt had started an affair with his ex-wife. Now Lovett, our 6 foot 5 man. Had not been particularly pleased about that, but he was tied to Bolt because Bolt was the man who gave Lovett any work, and Lovett needed the money. But Lovett, in fact, admitted to hating Bolt, but he needed Bolt to give him the jobs that provided the very meagre living that he was living on. In fact, Bolt and Lovett were, at the time of Bolt's death, hatching a twenty thousand pound gold buying deal. Bolt providing the finance. Lovett doing the research. David Charles Lovett even admitted to being with Bolt on the day of his death. He told the police everything. But as a result he found himself being charged with the murder of Malcolm Bolt. And he had no money to hire a great defence lawyer. So he found himself defending himself in court. And that trial began on the 10th of October 1983, and ended a few weeks later in a hung jury. They couldn't decide on Lovett's guilt. The jury was dismissed, and the trial was rescheduled to begin again with a fresh jury a few months later. And at the end of January 1984, that trial took place, the second trial. And by the 10th of February, that second trial was also over. David Charles Lovett was found not guilty. He was freed. He'd had 16 months of a nightmare where he'd been in prison for the whole of that 16 months. But it had taken its toll. That six foot five inch giant was reduced to a gaunt figure as he left the courtroom, financially broken but a free man. So, why? Am I telling you all this? Well, the truth is, David Charles Lovett intrigues me. Being six foot five inches, he's part of a very exclusive club, and one that the gentleman belongs to. But being a thin six foot five, he's part of an even more select proportion of that club. And he's the right age, and that's even fewer people and he's financially destroyed and I've got a feeling that the gentleman was also on hard times and there's a picture of Lovett exiting the court in a jacket and tie and you know what that looks very like the picture in the jacket and tie that we know of the gentleman but he's not missing or is he because how would we know and there's something else that really makes me interested in Lovett, which I want to share with you now. It's, it's the kicker, as they say in the US. The thing that really made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Bolt is murdered in Bristol. David Charles Lovett lived all his life in Bristol. And do you remember where the lasts were made that were used to weigh down the gent's body? I personally think self-applied. Where were they from? Well they were made by a company called A J Jackson of Kingswood Bristol. And those lasts probably date from the 1920s and 1930s. They're historic things. They're not in current use. David Charles Lovett's failed business was in the antiques, bric-a-brac, collectibles field. David Charles Lovett is exactly the kind of person I would imagine having some local historic shoelasts in his possession waiting to go to a new home. But is he missing around 1993 to 1994? There's a kind of way of finding that out. Because does he appear anywhere again after 1994 that proves he was still alive? And that's what we're working our way through right now. At the moment, we can only find two people of that name, David Charles Lovett, and we can only find one mentioned after 1994, which suggests the other wasn't around. And the question for us right now is which David Charles Lovett is the one who appears after 1994? Hopefully, by the time of the next podcast, we'll have an answer for you. Now, Ian earlier on in this podcast mentioned a second missing giant. And there is. That's going to be covered in the next podcast because it happens in Europe. And that required us to develop a more European dimension to our inquiries. Now fortunately for us, there's a lady called Magdalena Ruta who's recently become involved in our Fred investigations. So she was the obvious person to ask to get involved with the gentleman. She speaks a lot of languages, she can look at all the archives on a European level that might be useful to us. So, let me introduce you to Magdalena Ruta. Well, I am joined by Magdalena Ruta, and Magdalena's a big part of the Fred the Head investigation now, and uh, she's also now a very big part of the Gentleman of Halligoland investigation. So, uh, welcome Magdalena, it's great to have you on board.
2: Thank you, Ken. I'm happy to be on board.
0: This is a case which is being covered in Europe as well. Because you speak so many languages, it's very useful to have you around. And you're based in in the Netherlands to kind of cast an eye over those things. So what's been your first impressions then since getting involved with looking at the case?
2: Well, um, roughly six weeks ago, there was uh, a program on uh, Dutch TV, a very popular one, about crime investigations and about 10 minutes of uh, their time uh, was dedicated to the gentlemen. So of course that uh, picked my interest because uh, now it seems that uh, both the German and the Dutch police think that they are uh, leads uh, pointing towards the Netherlands or the Benelux uh, region, uh, meaning uh, the Netherlands, Belgium and Luxembourg.
0: Well, of course, the Dutch do have a physical advantage in relation to being relevant to the gentleman because they're well known to be the tallest nation in the world.
2: Absolutely. A, a very average uh, Dutch uh, man is uh, six feet tall. It's uh, 183 centimeters. So that's, uh, that's very tall. I am very tall myself, but I don't feel tall here at all.
0: So it's, it's certainly five centimetres taller than the average English person and probably more than that in terms of the average French person, for example. So when we're looking for a very, very tall man, let's go to the places where statistically more. Where right, they are
2: to, common. Yeah,
0: where they're common. Absolutely right. So what did the TV programme have to say about the about the case? Did it? Was there anything on there which is a little bit different to what we've heard before? Or was it just kind of talking about the same things that we know already?
2: Not not so many new things said, but uh, they are like seriously taking in consideration uh, the currents in the sea. Because uh, the, the body, a dead body, could, uh, could have drifted from uh, the English coast, but also very well from uh, the Dutch coast. Uh, there are also regular ferry lines uh, going operating daily a couple of times even uh, from the Dutch coast to to the English coast so um you've always considered a possibility of uh, the gentleman being someone who maybe jumped from a from a ferry line or something like that so so that's uh, that's definitely that also uh there is uh, there is a and that uh, that wasn't said in uh, in the program, but uh, that's something that I would like to point out that uh, there is a line of uh, Dutch islands, basically on the northern uh, end of uh, of the Netherlands, actually yeah. leading almost towards uh, Heligoland. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, is. yeah. It's a chain of islands, and then there is a gap, and then there is uh, Helgoland. Could be also someone. Uh, like who was who was somehow present on these islands and then got into the sea That it all makes sense because of the because of the direction of the of the sea currents
0: it didn't mention anything about the australian connection because uh
2: yes <laughs> yes they did but but now they seriously they are seriously convinced about uh that uh, the main origin of this uh, of this uh, guy of the gentleman uh, was of uh, Northern Europe. They also mentioned Australia as a possibility of spending some time, some a part of his life, perhaps not for sure. The reason that seems why they consider yes, yes, <laughs> that's your investigation. So
0: they're a little bit less sure about the Australian connection yeah, yeah, than yeah, they yeah. were when we left. Yeah, it. Definitely.
2: It's it's only an option now, uh,
0: okay. and it was
2: actually uh, it was actually from the mouth of the head of uh, the German investigation. Constant Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was the one who said that. So mm. now they are they are considering the Netherlands or like this this part of uh, nor- northern Europe, northwestern Europe uh, as a, as a number one place of uh, origin.
0: Right. So, and this is interesting in relation to the UK as well, because one of the things, one of the really interesting identifiers of the body is that he seemed to be clothed almost entirely, apart from his shoes, by Marks and Spencer. Now, we would imagine and we would theorize that that means he was from the UK. But it's not as simple as that, is it?
2: No 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 um well i spent a big part of my life working in fashion and i know how international fashion brands are so for example right now i'm wearing dutch jeans and an italian sweater but it doesn't say anything about where i am from as a person and uh, that is also the case that is also the case uh about uh, our gentlemen's clothes because I uh, looked into the presence of a Marks and Spencer brand in the Netherlands. And indeed, the brand was active here in the the 90s. Mm. They only closed in 2001. So so the gentleman could have bought all of his Marks and Spencer clothes, uh, for example, in Amsterdam.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. The other thing that always interests me about this, because let's imagine, speculate for a moment, that the the gentleman, you know, part of an illegal kind of activities, there's always been a flow of substances, let's put it that way, and other materials between Holland yeah. and the UK. Drugs, really, is what I'm talking about. It's, it was famous. Yeah, in the- yeah,
2: it is. But it's the drugs, it's uh, diamonds, it's stolen cars. It's many, many things. And has been and still is.
0: (laughs) There was illegal activity taking place between the coast of Holland and the UK and probably other coasts as well in Europe.
2: 100%. I would like to go back uh, the gentleman's clothes, though. Uh, Well, specifically to his shoes, because there was also a lot said about that he wore a, a British... A quintessential British uh, brand, Churches, Cheers, right? Yeah. Right. Well, right now you can buy Churches shoes at nine places in the Netherlands. And uh, right. the brand has been present here for for dozens of years. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I was also thinking about, like, if you are a very tall man and you like uh, handmade, really nice, timeless, classical shoes... Of course, obviously, you could choose Italian shoes, but they are usually small in size because of uh, the the average height and shoe size of Italians. So right. as a tall guy, uh, you would go for British shoes because uh, British shoes uh, for men, classical shoes, are worldwide known. So it also doesn't say ab- nothing, actually, about where he was from.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting so suddenly the netherlands let's call it benelux belgium yeah benelux so that becomes a place of interest uh, because we know all the clothing he had on could have been accessed there didn't need to be in the uk to buy any of these things we know that on average statistically men are taller there you are more likely to encounter a six foot five man in holland than anywhere else in the world. Correct. And also, thirdly, we know that the tidal drift patterns for someone entering the water somewhere on the Netherlands coast would naturally take them towards Heligoland.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Fascinating. Well, this is great. So, and not only that, we now have someone who can look at archives of newspapers and things like that who speaks those languages i don't so i would never be able to find a six foot five man in the dutch newspaper archive i just wouldn't do it <laughs> it's outside my capabilities but it's inside well, I'm, your am I'm, I'm,
2: I'm trying i'm trying and um and my husband is helping me <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> so
0: so therefore The next stages, the next steps in your part of this investigation is is what? It's like trawling through that that information to see what we can find.
2: Exactly. I'm looking for interesting, like like you did, uh, I'm looking for interesting mentions of uh, unusually tall men of thin build. I'm just digging deeper and deeper and I'm discovering very interesting things indeed.
0: Well, we are delighted you're on board. Really looking forward to seeing where this part of the investigation takes us. But it sounds very exciting.
2: Yeah, it does.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Magdalene.
2: Very welcome, Ken.
0: So that's where we find ourselves today. There are definitely new lines of inquiry on both sides of the channel. And I'm excited about it. It's also interesting how the police seem to be backtracking away from this Australian connection that they were so certain about only a few months ago. But there's a lot of work to do. So expect another podcast in the next couple of weeks where we'll bring you up to speed on what we discover. And thanks again for staying with the podcast. I know it's been a long wait, but I've got a feeling that the next stage of the investigation will be a fascinating one. But that's for next time. So until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of the Gentleman of Heligoland is a copyrighted GSE Media production, written and narrated by Ian Mackay and Ken Davis, and produced by myself, Ken Davis.